hello, everyone, and welcome to News of the World. I'm using my grammar school teacher voice. <laughs> this is the program dedicated to, well, uh, news that perhaps you've heard about, perhaps you haven't thought about this week. Maybe you're busy. That's why we're here. And we are Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, that's me, I'm in Amsterdam. And on the other side of this long wire I stretch over into Berlin, there is a Tim Love. Yes, there is. Yes. Without the proper grammar school voice. Yeah, do you have that? You, you, I'm sure there is a, a proper German grammar school voice. Yeah, there, there, there might be. I'm that, probably going to switch voices during the program somehow. <laughs> just it has to, to like, make a difference. Make children feel like they're important comfortable but they have to work or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so we're in a good mood that's for mm. sure um mm -hmm. what about mm -hmm. the world is oh, the, the world, world is, in good mood no they're in a terrible mood Tim. Oh, the world that's bad yeah well in some I, places there's some interesting news but uh we got to start with bad news bad news uh let's go syria Human Rights Watch, last week at this point, released a report on uh, what are human rights violations, war crimes. And some people might say, well, haven't they been doing that for, for quite a while? But no, in fact, this is the first report since the summer anyway. So since July, they're reporting 4,300 deaths at the hands of the regime. That's their focus. I know a lot of people would like to know more about the rebels. That's not the focus of this particular study. And what they're saying is uh, things you may have heard in news reports. They've confirmed it through interviews, through investigation on site. And basically that the uh, Syrian government, especially through the use of air power, has done things like, I mean, bombing of bread lines is something that is mentioned and, and other mm -hmm. food places where people get their food and are lining up to get their food. Uh, so they inspected 52 sites in northern Syria and they documented as much as 59 unlawful attacks by the Syrian Air Force. And of course, they have their criteria for, you know, what is a human rights violation, what is unlawful attacks on civilians being the, the main thing and, and making a difference between that and attacks between sort of rebel fighters and the military. Yeah, it really looks like from that report that the Syrian government is sort of trying to keep those uh, quote-unquote liberated areas under constant pressure, not to make anybody feel safe about this. And basically, they don't really care who they're hitting as long as they're creating new disturbance and, 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 and yeah, continuous unrest everywhere. Yeah, it seems as though there's nothing they won't do. <laughs> and yeah, and they're, they're basically destroying the whole country. And I think that's, that's the main problem here, that this whole conflict is stalled on a political level because it's basically unsolvable. You've got mm -hmm. some parties pouring in new weapons, but the whole world, TM, you know, doesn't really know what to do because as long as there's the big support by uh, Russia, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those places where you, if you decide to pour in more gasoline, you know, it just will grow burning more mm. and more. And that's, um, yeah, that's the political um, yeah. the situation right here. And no side really behaves in a way that you could say like they are the good, good guys. Right. Uh, that, that's especially, yeah, when, when it comes to the people who are armed, 
of course, many people would, like I said, want to say, well, what about the rebels? And surely there's things to report on on that side as well. But this is mostly just about, yeah, the civilians. Now, I mentioned 4,300 deaths. That's since the summer. The total at this point, according to the UN numbers, are 70,000 people who have died in the now two-year-old conflict. So that was something I actually hadn't looked at in a while. I mean, you knew it would be bad, but how bad... Uh, you know, how many and and 70,000 is the number. I ran into this report within uh, this week's news from Syria. It's it's perhaps not earth shattering, but the Israeli military is actually functioning, according to uh, this inside report. They're functioning in Syria. Now, officially, Syria and Israel have never stopped being at war. But of course, it's one of those situations where they're not actually fighting. Mm hmm. In this case, the Israeli military is carrying out uh, a medical operations, uh, allegedly f- on uh, or to help rebels and even evacuating them in some situations. Uh, you know, this is significant in some ways because, well, look, it's a it's a large military, it's uh, a powerful force in the region, and uh, clearly they're not afraid to go in and do some things and maybe take a side in some way. Um, I don't know that it's going to go beyond this, but I found it interesting and I highlighted it in this week's notes that, yes, the Israeli military is active in Syria, at least at this capacity. It's not really surprising that they are, you know, trying to, I don't know, whatever they do, you know, it it wouldn't be surprising um, because we've, it's no secret that, that Israel is always, you know, trying to be one step ahead Mm. (laughs) of what everybody else uh, thinks might be appropriate just to secure their borders and to uh, secure their land. I mean, this is a a huge conflict that's very, very close to their country. So I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, it's right across the border. Yeah, but this whole debacle, I mean, this is trying, this is sort of leading to the biggest tragedy of the 21st century yet. I mean, it's... Yeah, such a huge loss of people, but it's also such a huge loss of um, a civilization. I mean, this is th- one of the oldest civilizations on the planet. You know? Yeah, and uh, a lot of things are going to be destroyed when this is over. Yeah, you, you know, there was this. Uh, it makes me think of this speech that, of all people. Uh, the son of Qaddafi gave, and I think Qaddafi gave these speeches as well. It was at the time where uh, people were talking about rising up and and Benghazi had started to rebel. And he gives this speech, uh, I mean, you know, a ridiculous thing in some ways, but he said, you don't want to do this. You'll tear the country apart. This side will fight that side. And he starts naming all the different tribes and all the bad things that will happen if you get rid of the Qaddafis. And of course, he was trying to save his own ass. And uh, that's not how Libya went down and, and still isn't. Not exactly, right? Um, but in the Syrian case, you you see, I mean, Assad could have given the same speech. Uh, it doesn't justify him staying in power, but in some ways, it's it's the worst case scenario that Qaddafi tried to scare people with in his country yeah. um, become reality in, in Syria. Uh, so yeah, I, I, it's, it's one of these conflicts, like, I mean, you care, of course, and you, and we watch and we, if we could do something, we would, and, and some people want bigger, bolder actions from, from the international community. Um, but it's, it's hard to know exactly what to do. I mean, the gasoline thing that you, you mentioned is, is in some ways very appropriate because, you know, no matter what you do, it just seems to, uh, could make things even worse. 
Um, anyway, I just wanted to highlight that report because Human Rights Watch is always uh, at the top of their game when it comes to reporting, and especially from places where it's hard to get reports. Mm-hmm. Now, let's stay in the region. Uh, this one's not exactly uh, breaking news, although it is new from this month. Um, as many people might recall, I myself was in Lebanon uh, at the end of last year, and I got to see firsthand what a lot of people live in this world, which is the lack of electricity and sort of inability to provide 24 hours of electricity. So in in Lebanon, they have the rolling blackouts. In Iraq, I think they still, in some parts of the country, a few hours a day, the power just doesn't work because they don't have enough of it. Uh, And there are many countries in the world. And this is the first time I've seen this. Um, A Turkish power ship is now providing electricity in Lebanon. They're only one ship at this point, and it's delivering, at this moment, 188 megawatts of electricity. Um, It's expected to rise in June when a second ship... It's a really incredible image. It looks like a a factory uh, on a boat with ugly smokestacks. It's oil-powered. You know, it's... it's, um, uh, What do you call it? Yeah, an, an oil plant. So that's not great for the whole spirit of alternative energy, but they're able to supply two extra hours of power right now to the country, which I think gets them closer to at least half the day with electricity. No, a little more. And by 2015, they expect to go 24 hours of electricity. But as I was reading this article, which was in The Guardian, actually, um, I read that this Turkish company actually is going global. They want to go further. Uh, They're talking Libya. They're talking parts of Africa. They want to float their boats on down there and provide power in places that can't at the moment. And it's, again, not an environmental victory, but it's just a, well, a really low-level innovative idea. You know, we're just going to bring your power plant to you. Uh, But but who is paying for this? There is this private company, uh, and of course... The minute you say private company, there may actually be a, a little bit of government help from behind it. But it's it seems like a um, a Turkish uh, you know, mogul. Uh, the name is oh, where is it? No, uh, Karadeniz Holding. Karadeniz Holding. Haven't researched them yet. Yeah, that's um, the owner of the ship. Yeah, uh, that's the energy yeah, company. But, but who is you know who's paying them for providing this? In, in the case of Libya, it's actually the Libyan electricity company, Electricité du Liban, because uh, they can't do it themselves. I mean, Lebanon. in terms of yes, yes, not Libya. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, Lebanon. Lebanon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't go from talking Libya to Lebanon. It's not good. So it's um, Lebanon themselves that the company yeah. is paying for it. Uh, it's <laughs> it's the customers. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if this is some kind of uh, help provided by. Um, by Turkey, but it's just a Turkish company. I didn't even know that these kind of <laughs> floating energy sources actually exist. I mean, that's amazing. It's yeah, it is amazing. It's ugly. It's super ugly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it works. But, yeah, and it comes from Turkey, which which to me is just interesting. It's not necessarily the place that's like we are innovative in power. Uh, but there they go. No, but they are really innovative on many levels right now. I mean, Turkey is really the growing force in, uh, in Europe right now, while everybody else is struggling, you know, mm. or at least keeping their level. Um, Turkey is rising, rising to be one of the most uh, interesting and powerful nations of that region. 
Yeah. A, a weird footnote in this whole thing, and towards the end of the article in The Guardian, there's this uh, note that actually, even though it's suffering from power shortages, in the future, <laughs> we don't know if it's really going to happen, but Lebanon could actually become a producer, an exporter of energy, because they found these hydrocarbon fields, which we, we still haven't reported about on this program, but we'll hear more about. And it's uh, actually located uh, in the, uh, out at sea, between uh, and it's shared between Cyprus and Lebanon. And so I uh, think even Israel is involved. And if they exploit, if we use the word, the hydrocarbon fields, then they'll be producing uh, a lot of electricity. But it's, it's weird to say that when they don't have enough electricity to have a full day of power. Yeah, and it's weird to say that when they really have a lot of sundown there. I mean, not that there are ah, no alternative uh-huh. technologies. Right. There's not a lot of space. There's not a lot of space. But yeah, yeah. There yeah, is but sun. it's... It's enough, mm, mm, you know, mm. at least to do something. Yeah, Fair. that's it. Let's take a visit over to Mali. Uh, as many people will recall, last time we spoke of Mali was as uh, France pushed the rebels uh, out now in the, they say, in the desert or, or out of the main uh, cities. And actually, the French troops have already started to uh, get withdrawn. There are a few hundred that arrived back in France this week. Uh, there's still about 4,000 uh, in the country. But uh, the prime minister has been touring <laughs> northern Mali, Gao specifically, and he's uh, basically announced that there will be elections in July, which is relatively soon. But, I mean, that's one of the things that, that they're doing to show the North that they're interested in, and democratic and, and so forth. Uh, so we could be seeing elections this summer already, um, and uh, I just thought I would I'd point that out because uh, I'm sure that election will have some some bearing on what happens in Mali in the near future. And if the North, you know, gets satisfied by their representation or not, which traditionally I think the answer has been not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a note on that. Uh, not much else from Mali these days. I mean... There's always a lack of reporters in Mali, so that makes it difficult as well. And it's sort of fallen out of the the headlines uh, here in Europe. Yeah, I mean, I wonder what the what the state of the rebels actually is. I mean, pushed into the desert doesn't really mean much. I mean, it could mean anything. It could mean that they are returning every <laughs> every day now, but probably they're just you know taking their time and come back when. Uh, they feel it's appropriate. Yeah, I've seen notes that there are certain uh, Tuareg rebels. Well, first of all, they, they still control a town near Algeria it's called Kidal, but it's apparently considered pretty minor. Again, it's not a city, it's a town. Um, and I've seen lists of names like suspected drug traffickers, suspected Al-Qaeda operatives that are sort of wanted. So it's either going to be the Malian uh, military or maybe the French military that's going to start hunting individuals, which is, of course, much harder than taking back a city, uh, you know, and securing the streets. Uh, but that that seems to be part of what they're still going to have to do if if the plan is somehow to uh, get rid of the Tuareg rebels somehow. Yeah, I mean, Kidal is this far out northern... <laughs> Like most the the most northern place in Mali at all, if you you know subtract the the desert, there's no real 
other settlements of uh, interest. And this is their holdout because it's basically impossible to hunt them down there because Kidal is south of this uh, Kidal mountain region, which yeah. is uh, in itself full of holes, you know, <laughs> caves everywhere <laughs> where they're hiding. Uh, that would be an Afghanistan moment <laughs> mm. for any troops entering there. And I think they sort of say like, yeah, we don't really care about Kidal. You know, I mean, it's get another small space. As long as they're hanging out there, fine, you know. Mm. Uh, as long as we have control of the river and control of these middle areas in uh, uh, Mali, we're fine. Yeah, I keep imagining like a French military arriving, looking for Tuareg sort of uh, refugees, uh, not refugees, um, criminals and so forth, fighters, and then uh, someone going, these are not the Tuaregs you're looking for. These are not the Tuaregs we're looking for. It's that kind of environment. And they walk into a bar. All right, all right. Yeah, that's it. Let's go U.S. actually. Oh, let's start in India and then take it over to the U.S. because we're talking drugs and we're talking copyrights. And, well, the U.S. is always tied to these discussions. But we start in India The Indian Supreme Court uh, last week at this point uh, ruled that generic drug companies can keep making their copies of this, in one specific case, Gleevec, which is a cancer drug, considered a very popular and successful uh, cancer treatment drug. It's made by Novartis, and they were trying to stop uh, a lot of these generic companies from making the drug. And just to sort of put it in perspective... um, the drug can cost $70,000 oh $70, a year if you get the official version. And the Indian generic version can cost $2,500 a year. Uh, an, an amazing, amazing difference. So the Indian Supreme Court has ruled that they can keep making the copies, a ruling that you know, makes Novartis not so happy. It's a major victory for generic drugs uh, around the world. Uh, among other reasons, India exports a lot of generic medicine every year, and they're not the only country. I know Brazil is very into generics. Um, about $10 billion worth, actually, India exports. Um, I mean, I even see here that like India and China produce more than 80% of the active ingredients of the drugs that are, that are produced by these major companies. So, you know, why not make the generics themselves? Um, these kind of cases, you've probably heard about them over the years. They're similar ones coming up in, in places like Thailand, Argentina, the Philippines, and, and Brazil. And uh, it's, it's interesting to see at least the high court in India saying generics are okay. You can't stop them. You have to allow it to go on. Uh, of course, pharmaceutical companies are big in the way of, of lobbying the money they invest in trying to pressure governments, not just in the United States, but around the world. We have that even here in Europe at the European Union level. Um, so now there have been arguments actually in the uh, United States about yeah, what's going to happen with um, keeping cheaper drugs off the market, keeping the generics away. Um, there's even ways to delay uh, generics from from coming on the market, and there's a lot of attempts uh, in in various countries in the world to sort of stop generics. But this is uh, a big win for them, at least in India. Yeah, I mean, 
I really doubt that this decision is really driven by, you know, um, a clear look at the future of this planet. I mean, the the victory has been celebrated by many uh, groups who have been, you know, um, annoyed by high prices for medicine throughout the world. But in a way, it's much more looking like this is just a protective measure for the Indian companies. Could yeah well, I mean look you always see different explanations for and and you're of course looking at even behind the explanation what are they doing because they could say this is important because people need access to these drugs uh, for their health and you can't have it so high priced that nobody can afford it that's the official answer and some people actually believe that right because well it makes sense but what you're saying is no matter what they say behind it. There's a business aspect. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, of course, people think like, oh, yeah, uh, nobody could actually pay for this in India. But the reality is that uh, Novartis has actually provided this uh, medicine to many for free in India. So there was a specific program to actually support this. Um, I can't really break it down into numbers here, but okay. that was just the case, you know. So there is always a way in between, and I really doubt that this is totally free from mm -hmm. protectionist appeal. Yeah, so I that's get something to just to keep in mind here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a bigger debate, and it's been going on not just in medicine, of course. A lot of people listening know it from other industries. The debate of You know, what's more important, uh, access to medicine and uh, keeping it affordable and or, uh, you know, getting the big products, the big brand names. And yes, keeping the brand names uh, wealthy enough to do their research and to come out with the new drugs. Uh, so, I mean, there is a struggle in this world for what kind of pharmaceutical companies we, we want to have, what kind of a pharmaceutical sort of world we want to have. Um, I mean, it goes back and forth, it seems. I mean, even though the big pharmaceuticals have never taken a big hit. You know, I mean, there's, I, I read about how they're struggling in the U.S., sales are down, and they're struggling in Europe. Apparently, uh, brand name drug sales are, are doing badly these last few years, badly in compared to the past. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at the developing world going... We need a way to make our, our profits there somehow. Um, so, you know, m maybe you know, some programs, fixing their, their public relations a bit is part of this. Um, but I think the bigger question is just, is this kind of way of developing drugs going to survive? Should it survive? Uh, does it make sense? You know, I know people who work for the pharmaceutical industry who right away, if they heard this, would say, oh, that old argument, you know, how, how else are we going to make these these, you know, important drugs that require tons of research and therefore require tons of money. You're not going to do that through generics. And it, it's like, well, fair enough. Like I said, I'm interested, like I understand that to be a point. Um, but then again, how much is enough for research and for a company and how much is just, yeah. you know. It's very difficult to um, decide here. And I, uh, but I would say that the patent system makes hmm. at least some sense in this uh, regard. Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense in the software world. That's a different uh, story, but here it, you know, it's at least debatable. And that actually takes us to, in a way, the, the next issue that's attached, which is 
let, let's go patents and health, right? In the U.S. right now, the Supreme Court's been uh, looking at a lot of cool issues lately. I say cool uh, because finally there are things that might actually make a difference and change lives. One of them, of course, has been the gay marriage issue. Uh, we'll, we'll bring some updates on that in the coming weeks. But this week, I wanted to talk about how the U.S. Supreme Court is actually hearing cases on um, whether or not you can patent human genes. And what's weird is human genes have already been patented. I I did not know this. Like, this is news to me. Uh, There are two human genes that are particularly on on trial here, and they're called the BRCA, BRCA1 and BRCA2. Now, I know BRCA genes because uh, it's been said that if you have it, uh, that means you're increased in the chances of uh, having some kind of cancer that, that ends your life uh, at some point. So you kind of know early if you're, if you're at high risk for cancer. And it was said that if you tested positive for this gene or one of these two genes, then you need to start doing a lot of things. Like, you know, if you're a woman, the, the, the breast um, exams, and, and, and if you're a man, all kinds of extra exams, you know, just be more careful. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a company called Myriad that actually has filed patents on Baraka genes and all mutations and rearrangements of them, which, according to critics and and even just some observers in the world of the the media, means that they are able to stop or allow uh, research and and any sort of use of Baraka and Baraka genes uh, in, in the world of medicine. So they can actually somehow stop you from investigating further if you're looking mm-hmm. into Baraka genes. And what the court is now basically looking at is, can you, can you patent? Can you stop? You know, is this okay? Does this fall under the world of patents? And that, I mean, you just were saying how you know, it depends on what industry we're looking at, when it makes sense, when it doesn't. I, I look at this one as one of those where it just may not make sense that things that are inside your body, you know, the human heart, cannot get patented so therefore i mean i'm i'm taking it to the heart but your genes is that who can own that it's it's in yeah, us I mean, that's a, that's a, the the general question of what can you actually um patent you know are we talking about discoveries on how the world is you know or are we talking about methods that somebody finds out and uh, new materials, you know, new combinations of existing things that sort of, uh, you know, find cure for something. I think that's something completely different. Patenting mm-hmm. the gene itself is like patenting <laughs> America, you know, because somebody found it. <laughs> I think that's exactly what they did. <laughs> yeah, in a way, yeah. And... and <laughs> So, yeah, it will be very interesting. I mean, this U.S. Supreme Court is still dominated by very conservative powers, isn't it? Uh, I, I will go with a yes on that. Just yeah. slightly yes. Yes, slightly. <laughs> I'm being nice. Do they have a track record <laughs> of being pretty liberal in some sense? Uh, no. The only reason I say slightly yes is because at this point, we're probably at 50-50 in terms of judges that were nominated by Democrats and judges that were nominated by Republicans. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, technically that should mean half conservative, half I don't know what. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know to say that it's really that non-conservative or not. I mean, you, you get some, and there's also some issues where they actually, you can't predict. Some people are more like like for liberties and some people are not, even though they're conservative. It's, it's, 
but yeah, you, I would say you're mostly right. It's a fairly conservative court. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when is uh, this decision going to uh, be? I don't made? know because these discussions take take place for quite a while. So it's, it's still under investigations. Not yeah. that they are ready to. Uh, I think at some point the court, you know, it has it moves on or, or ends its sessions, and I think the end of the month might be something significant. Uh, if if they rule against. Myriad, who controls the Baraka genes, that could actually stop the world of sort of human gene patents. And and the article uh, includes a, a little statistic that I, again, didn't know. Nearly 20% of the human genome, so, so that's like, I don't know, more than 4,000 genes, uh, including some that are linked to Alzheimer's disease, colon cancer, they're already covered by at least one patent. Some are held by companies, some are held by universities and then research institutions. And then there's even a few that are committed, owned by people who are committed to open source genomics. So they're holding them to stop commercial companies from having them, which yeah. is also kind of clever. Uh-huh. Yeah, like the GPL, the GPL method. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, I hadn't thought about that connection. But yeah, right. in a way. I mean, you're using the existing right to sort of, or it's like buying wood, you know, buying huge forestry areas to uh, keep them out of uh, industrial use and so on. Yeah, which is uh, probably something they're going to have to do more of if if the court rules uh, for gene patents and stuff. Then you're going to have to start buying more wood. Yeah, but uh, right now U.S. seems to, be, uh, seems to have another problem uh, too, that they are not having enough intelligent people to actually do this research. <laughs> At least that's how Mark Zuckerberg sees it, I guess. Yeah, you know, I think Mark Zuckerberg at some point, when you when you have too much success and you're too young, you just try everything, right? Uh, you just have to get involved in everything. He's now started a political action group. Uh, I think they're going under the banner Forward or FWD.US. Those .US addresses are still out there if you want to grab one. <laughs> forward.us and uh his issues are going to be um i think immigration policy they, they say revamping immigration policy this is a nice you, you when you use these words you don't get into any trouble because you don't necessarily say what you want to do you just say you want to update it but if you read more you see that he's talking about being smarter about immigration instead of being so closed and being so against anyone coming from outside to be more open to this kind of thing. I'm pretty sure that's what he means, but of course they never lay it out because they want to be appealing. Um, there's a couple of other issues that he lists, uh, you know, education is a big one. And of course, investment in science research. And then in tiny, tiny letters that don't appear in the article, more Facebook, please for the world. It says, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I think it would be so funny if he starts this political action committee and at first he makes like a group and everybody joins and then as soon as he starts to want to do things like nobody shows up or, you know, everybody just <laughs> likes it but then nothing happens. This is going to be the future of Mark Zuckerberg's group. Yeah. <laughs> I want him to experience what happens on his Facebook when you try to do something like... Yeah, maybe one of the admins is just blocking the page. That's <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> oh, somebody is. Uh, you know, they're gonna get. They're gonna get spammed by keep calm uh, posters. And yeah, somebody is impersonating topic. Zuckerberg. Yeah, that'll be that. We have to delete these files. The uh, financial contributors to the new group include Eric Schmidt, 
uh, of Google, uh, the Netflix person, Yahoo's cheap, cheap, cheap executive, <laughs> put a P at the end, SpaceX, Tesla Motors chief, Elon Musk. I don't even remember Zynga anymore, but the Zynga chief executive is on board and the guy in charge of Groupon. So, you know, this group will fail. <laughs> All, <right. laughs> or we'll give out interesting coupons at the end. Yes. Um, <laughs> you never know. I mean, it's interesting because these companies, I mean, regardless of what you think of them individually, you know, sort of represent those fast moving um, new media and new technology uh, companies that really try to achieve something uh, probably growing faster than the rest of the industry together. Yep. So in that sense, I think they're going to have an impact. And uh, they show that that it seems to be very, very important to get the world's um, most intelligent and, 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 and capable uh, people just to d uh, sustain the business, which is an international business. Yeah. And uh, is in uh, big uh, is under is under attack. Not that you know. I think that that anybody is sort of uh, coming close to the inventiveness of of, of U.S. companies in that uh, regard. But you've you've seen uh, situation with China and so on. Uh, it's only other, a matter of time. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe it's a matter of time. But it's also a matter of being. Uh, let's say at least you need a lot of Chinese people to counter, mm -hmm. you know, Chinese tactics. You have to know these markets. You have to be a very international company too, you know, well, just to understand these markets. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that they would uh, launch this political action group because if you look at all the other big industries with a lot of power, oil, they all have their groups as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Few of them are, are as famous perhaps as this group could be especially considering their appeal on the internet so it, it makes sense that they would have this group one thing that w i guess it worries me but it also makes me wonder we'll see is if you get a group of people who um like you said are very good at understanding the importance of bringing in people the great minds from around the world that's good in the sense that they understand the world and that you know the united states cannot be isolated from the world and that You have to have an immigration policy that is open. But I, I hope that it wouldn't result in the kind of thing we get now in Europe, especially in, in the Netherlands. We have this thing where the government wants the smartest people from around the world. If you're a genius from India or some kind of you know specialist, they will find a way to get you a visa. But if you're just a farmer and you want out, you want to come to the Netherlands and try being a farmer here, they will not open any doors for you. It's, it's often called, what is it? Um, well, it's brain drain for the other country, but it's it's an immigration policy that only favors uh, the most ingenious. And although I get why that would be for, especially for the big companies and for the economy, I think this is a um, well, it's an unfair policy, and I think you you have to be open for the 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 non geniuses as well. You know, the people that won't work at Google. So I don't I don't know yet if this Zuckerberg group will be for both groups or will they be more for yeah just the smartest <laughs> we'll find out basically yep all right good now so on on to news sources and i guess the end of the show has become particularly american themed uh i i want to share this one with you it's called opensecrets.org 
Now, Open Secrets has actually been around uh, since the 80s, but everything changed for Open Secrets when they finally got on the web and started being a source for information when it comes to money in U.S. politics. Now, that's a little bit vague, but what they're basically good at is tracking who gets what money, if you're a political candidate, if you're a lobby group, how much you're spending, and they keep good statistics on them, statistics that they even make available uh, for use in other, you know, reporting for journalists, for institutions. Uh, They even have an API uh, over the years that that they've developed that a lot of different web tools use. So whenever you want to see, like, um, which is very useful during elections, uh, what candidate gets money from where, they usually have the charts uh, where you can see where the money is coming from uh, for who. And these days they have their blog and they have their their sort of news service where they report on all kinds of uh, aspects. Actually, they were uh, reporting on this patents ruling in India and making the connection to the U.S. as well about you know how much money is involved for these companies, how much money do these companies spend in lobbying. So Open Secrets is not... Uh, is not super international, but if there's a tie to the U.S., as, as so often there is money-wise, you can always find those connections being made in, in, on their website. Uh, I, I subscribe to their blog, and I keep an eye out on things. Uh, a lot of times it's very, very U.S.-centric, and that sometimes I can't even follow what exactly they're talking about. But uh, there are few centers that you can really go to that have this kind of information. I mean, I, I wish I had this for every country. Um, let's see. Anything else of use? Mm, no, I think the API is probably the most interesting thing. Oh, yeah, they're a foundation. So they're mostly uh, they take donations from people and they apply for sort of grants and that sort of thing. Interesting. And you can look up Mark Zuckerberg and see how ma- uh, much money he donated to <laughs> yeah. politicians. Yes, yes, you can. Which is, you know, a simple tool, but I don't know. Like, do you know where you can go for this information for, for German politics? Um, well, it won't work the same way, does it? No, and I doubt this exists at all. You, you mean the whole practice of some businessman giving a lot of money to a party? Or no, no, mean, no, no, no. Uh-huh. That does, definitely does exist, but I, I, I doubt that this is uh, uh, something that has to... I mean, right now, I'm not, not so much into um, the current legislature on this, but I, I doubt it would be um, easily done if you want to do such a system. Yeah. I, I, I know activists that are trying, but have I don't think ever successfully gotten this together for the European Parliament uh, to, you know, to go right along with who's your representative, what poli- um, pay, uh, what is it, bills are they voting on? Like yeah. you can find those, but they want to add that aspect of where does their money come from? You know, who, who are they connected to? It's, a, it's in a way like creating a, a social network, but sort of a political social network that shows you the stuff maybe yeah. politicians don't. We should probably uh, turn our um, focus on, on, on European information in that sense uh, in one of the Ooh. next shows. I can do that. Yeah. I can do that. All right. We will do that. So there's OpenSecrets.org from the world of the United States and politics and money. And that's my news source for the week. So... What else is on the agenda for you, Mark? Uh, I've had a travel? yeah. You, you've I've, been you've just just, uh, just been to uh, Portugal, haven't been? Have I you? was I was in Portugal among yes. the the desperate and the the angry 
uh, because of the whole financial crisis, you mean? Yes, and desperate uh, they are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then after, after some time with my family, I got a nice offer to go and give workshops in Istanbul to young, uh, what I believe are journalists. I'm still get, getting the details. So I will be in Istanbul for uh, about a week, uh, starting at the end of April. Um, and that leads right into more or less uh, Republika time in Berlin. Mm-hmm. I'll be heading up there. And, uh, and after that, there's an event I'm still waiting on, but it'll be in Sarajevo. So I have like a, a triangle of travel coming up. And your uh, talk at Republika, do you have a date already? Uh, it's Monday, so I think, what is that, the 7th? I'm, I'm just throwing six. out. 6th, 6th, 6th. Yeah, I believe I speak on the 6th. I don't have it in front of me. And uh, it'll be on Egypt and stories from uh, the journey. Uh, the first time, I think, that I'm doing it in front of a big group. I've done it for small groups uh, here in the Netherlands. And um, yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay, yeah. First day at uh, 5 past 5. 30 minutes, personal mm-hmm. revolutions along the Nile. Yes, I got a 30-minute slot. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I can, I can do a lot with a 30-minute slot. Yeah, I've got a 60-minute slot, and <laughs> uh, I hope I can <laughs> do a lot of good things with it, uh, too. It's on the second day at 10. I'm going to be the wake-up call for everybody in the morning. Uh, Okay, I'll, I will. I will. Uh, if if there's a chance that you and I sit behind a microphone or or at a desk over there, uh, let's let's do that while we're there. Yeah, yeah, we will because uh, we're going to have a workshop room, a radio work, ro- workshop room, the the whole time at Republica, our own dedicated space, and we're going to uh, try to do a uh, daily show there uh, in the afternoon. Okay. Uh, dates haven't really and times haven't really been uh, dates have been fixed but times haven't been <laughs> fixed so far uh, this is just an ongoing uh, process we're still looking for people to join and uh, going to I'm going to write more about this soon yeah and people are going to be able to even if they're not on the program they're going to actually be able to sit and look at us and point yeah and if oh, one cool. of the listeners is at Republica you know Come to us, talk to us, uh, tell us you listen to News of the World and tell us what you like and what you don't like. We always uh, <laughs> want to hear this. Yes. Yeah, we do. We do. I yeah. Agree. And yep. uh, if I may say that too, uh, we haven't really gotten much feedback on the news sources section. Uh, so I would be interested if this uh, works for you and what else you'd like to see there. Because uh, right. I th- still think it's a, a good thing to provide. Um, hopefully, I will be able to, um, you know, make an extensive list on our website just on these sources to to have an overview, and not to um, have yeah. to navigate manually through our episodes to find them. Yeah, I would be curious. Yeah, what what people are thinking of the news sources section? Yeah. And and I'll follow your lead actually, and and do more European news sources. Let's see how that how that plays out. Okay, I think that's it for this week. Yep. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Thanks for all the feedback, and uh, keep it coming. And we'll be back again, I think, next week with another news of the world. I think so. Goodbye. Goodbye.